0: The Brexit Breakdown Podcast, from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, podcaster, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. and This episode is particularly enlightening on that front, I would say. Um, we look at the wider forces affecting Europe and the EU and where Brexit fits into that. Plus, there's robot doctors. Myself and Deputy Director of UK Interchanging Europe, Simon Usherwood, spoke to Arup Banerjee. Who's he, I hear you ask? Well, he's the World Bank's Regional Director for the EU. He flew into London last week and Simon and I managed to catch up with him for a quick chat centred on the World Bank's growing united report uh, and taking in questions like will the eu break and where brexit fits into global politics it's a perspective that perhaps doesn't get taken into account enough in all the brexit chat it's super interesting i think so listen in here it is how
1: does the future look for europe is it bright or is it bleak We just finished a report exactly on that, Uh, it's called Growing United uh, and uh, it looks at really the future of the European Union and the answer in a nutshell is it looks really really bright for most but quite grim for some. Uh, That's quite a simple answer, Mm -hmm. Uh, is it as simple as that? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: the podcast yeah, we'll is over now. at this yeah, point. We'll stop right? now. It's, it's really over, it's fine.
1: Be, it's, uh, it's done. Uh, <laughs> Everything's going to be here. bright. That's not
0: what it looks like to me looking at Europe <laughs> just now, but I like, but I I like your that's optimism. that's
1: exactly the point. But the question is who are you looking at? And the question is uh, that we're trying to answer is why does Europe, which where generally things seem to be on the up and up and things seem to be getting better, why is there such a feeling of unease? And what the research that we do finds is that there is one strong bright line running through the people who are feeling uh, anxious about Europe and the future and those who are not. And that really is, what is technology doing to them?
0: Right. Um, just on the, the the Europe-EU thing, what's the interplay there? In the sense that if the future is bright for Is the future bright for the EU and therefore also bright for Europe as a whole, or is it brighter for the EU than Europe as a whole? What's the interplay? Well,
1: if you just think of what are the parts of Europe that are not in the EU, there are countries that are, uh, for the most part right now, thinking of acceding to the EU in one way or the other. Um, And uh, right now, if the future is bright for the EU, in today's EU, Mm-hmm. then uh, the future is going to be bright for the other countries as well, if they heed some of the warnings in this report.
0: Um, Simon, you look at Europe. Yes. Um, for those of us who've been writing and thinking about Brexit for a long time, if the future is so bright for the EU, how come Brexit?
2: Because Brexit wasn't just or possibly even about economics, and I think that's one of the real tensions, is that economically you've seen this progressive uh, integration of national economies. That, you know, the, the, that distinction between the EU and Europe is increasingly blurred because you have that critical mass that, that centres around uh, the core European economy. But Bre- people voted for Brexit not because of economic factors or you know, what they thought the European economy was going to do, or the, you know, the degree of convergence or things like that, It's much more about the the politics and the symbolic nature of these kind of things. And that's always the tension in these things, that politics and economics don't always uh, push in the the same direction.
0: I'm not the expert in this conversation. However, yeah, they did vote because of economics. They were worried about immigration affecting their jobs. They were worried about, well, that was the main thing, right? They wanted money for the NHS. So surely economics was a huge factor in the vote.
2: But, well, I'm sure you're going to say Something similar, but you know, the economics would, you know, free market economics would suggest that integration and free movement of the factors of production actually produces global improvement in economic outcomes. That migrants don't take jobs; they create jobs, they create, jobs, they create economic mm-hmm. growth, and they uh, allow for a better allocation of resources overall. So, in that sense, the economics would suggest that actually being close more. Well, closely integrated with your economic counterparts makes more
1: sense than... But, but actually, let me uh, go to the key part, not focusing on the future looks bright for most in Europe, but why does the future not look bright for some? And that, I think, is the root mm. of the dilemma that we're talking about. Just before we go on to that, I do want to talk about that, but just, uh, we've talked about sort
0: of the, you know whether the future is bright or bleak. Where does Brexit fit into that, you know, As you say, your uh, your regional director, EU, um, that job's going to get smaller because there's a country leaving the EU. um, Does it make the future brighter or I would have thought
1: it would make the future bleaker for the EU or does it not have much impact at all? Well, I think the challenge for all countries is the same. And that's, I think, the core of the point. We don't do any research in this report on on Brexit at all, right? So uh, I don't have a research-driven answer to your question, and we are careful not to make statements where we uh, don't have the research backing it up. Broadly, though, what I think is important to understand is that the forces that underlie many populist movements Mm. um, are going to be affecting the future of the EU, including the UK, and for other countries as well. And I think those are economic. Mm. They are, there may be social and other overtones, but those are all, according to what we see, uh, rooted in the economics.
0: Just to pick up on something else there, why don't you look at Brexit in this report? I mean, it hardly gets a mention, but obviously, isn't it a big factor for the EU, or
1: is it not? Are we talking about
0: bigger forces? So it's, it's That's not. That's exactly
1: right. It, the bigger forces are that every country, we're, we're really looking at the future 10 years from now uh, for a group of countries, and we're really thinking about whether. Um, what is behind this feeling that we have, that um, that that we saw, that there is a palpable anxiety and a pal- palpable unhappiness in every country, and it's and it's there in continental Europe, it's there in the UK, it's there in the US, it's there in my home country India, mm. it's everywhere that there is this palpable concern about whether or not the future bef- is. Place which is brighter for us and our Mm. children or not, Simon? Is the
0: the answer here, or the 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 point here that in Britain we're all obsessing about Brexit, but there are bigger forces at play, and somewhere down the road when Brexit is done, in whatever that means, we're going to look back and go, "Oh, this was a a bit of a sideshow, and we should have been paying attention to the rise of the robots."
2: Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think it's going to be in those terms, but (laughs) uh, well, maybe it will be. But no, I think that's already clear. That a lot of people are saying that. You know this, these are there are other things going on here, and that actually the particular nature of the British debate is driven by particular factors. But there are those broader, longer term processes which pull in, in very different uh, directions. So, no, at some point, yes, Brexit will be done. Uh, we'll stop doing podcasts about it. Um, in the future, 10 years, time, Ten yeah, years yeah time. 20 years, uh, <laughs> It won't know, but at that point, yes you know the re- the basic reality of the uk situation will remain the same that it's next to a centre of the global economy that what happens in that glo- in that regional centre in europe matters to the uk you know i think there's always this image uh, in some Brexters' minds that once we leave the eu europe disappears you know it it's mm. kind of, there's a loud popping sound and there's nothing on the other side of the channel uh, whereas in fact this is patently not the case, you know, and you hear that occasionally in government statement saying we still want to have a good relationship because it still matters. We want to successfully you, just not one that we're in.
0: It's a good idea for another one of your videos. Like who end. would make the biggest pop? Sorry. You could have a, you know, a big German bubble going pop. Thank you. Um, the forces then, let's talk about the forces. The rise of the robots, right? That's far too simplistic and populist, right? What are, they, what are these forces then
1: in an sure. understandable and, and simple way? <laughs> Right, uh, You don't want me to go into the real jargon, I don't know the jargon of the robot, <laughs> robots one. No, But it is actually not robots, but technology broadly, right? So it's, it's robots, of course, who are doing sort of the manual jobs, um, but it's also artificial intelligence, it's big data, it's a social media, it's all of the rise of technology. One of the things that I always remind people of is um, uh, every one of your listeners has very, very close to them right now a smartphone. And that's ten years old. Yeah. Think of how much our lives have changed because of just that thing. And this is the pace of change that we're in. So it's not that robots are going to rise. Mm. They already have risen. Right? <laughs> they're in your and pocket. They're in your pocket. Okay. They're they're everywhere, right? They're in this little device that is mm. recording the podcast. Now what that means for people is, of course, and this is where the bright future comes in, that has made all our lives measurably better. And remember, we're saying our lives, Mm. the lives of the three of us and the people like us who have the skills, who have the education, who have the adaptability, to actually harness these forces and use them as tools for everyday life. The challenge we point out in the report are for that group of people, and there's an increasingly large number of them, larger number of them in the EU, who are actually falling behind. And let's just throw some numbers at you. Mm -hmm. In Bulgaria, Mm -hmm. um, there are 42% of the population, uh, of the 15-year-old population, that does not have basic reading and math skills. Yeah. Right? Right. And this is, by the way, in the UK too, it's in the teens, so it's Mm. much, much less, but there's a significant number who don't have that. For those people, then artificial intelligence robots, 3D printing, become a threat rather than a promise, that is to us.
0: Yeah, um, and there's a gap there because, I'll lead with my chin, one of the bosses at the World Bank's Bulgarian, right? She is. Yeah, there you go. So there's a gap, clearly she can read and write, and she's not one of that 42%. So even within that country, there's a huge gap going on there.
1: Absolutely.
0: But what is going on that we're not embracing that? And why is it being seen as a negative thing? Why isn't technology the key? Technology might well be the key to to
1: pulling these people up, but why is it not happening yet? the fundamental thing we see is exactly what we pointed out. So we do an analysis based on... um, Looking at individuals as well as look at firms, right. right? And what what are these growing divides, as we call them, um, being caused by? And what are the um, what are the remedies? And the bottom line really is that for individuals, it boils down very much to education. Uh, one of the nice things, one of the questions I ask, and the, in this room, uh, it's a difficult question to ask. So I'll ask it for your reader, uh, for your listeners, to raise their virtual hands if any of them are actually doing exactly the job that they were trained for in university. Professors always raise their hands, but... <laughs> <laughs> i not going to, I wasn't trained for any of theirs. <laughs> but, but that's the point, right? Uh, and very few of uh, your listeners will raise their virtual hands because we have had the capacity, the people listening to your podcast mm. has the capacity to learn how to learn and to change and evolve with the growing economy. Now, when you don't have the foundational skills when you don't have the ability to look at text and then know what it means, you can read the text, mm, but you don't yeah. know what it means, when you can't do basic math, then how are you going to take advantage of the technology? And that's where, then, the robots taking our jobs and the equivalents come in. Um, he's talking about a Brexit, right, Simon? Because the big gap in
0: the Brexit vote was in educational attainment, or is that a, a canard?
2: No, that was also... Uh, a key divide, and again, the the threat of the changing world is part was part of what was happening in Brexit. That you know, people just felt like they had been left behind by the changing system. So it's partly about politics, but it's also about economics. You know, here's a world that's moving on. Everyone's got a smartphone. These rich and successful people are doing very well. They they're making the most of this. Whereas. I find myself left behind by those processes. But that's
0: to do with the educational attainment again, isn't it? Because, all right, no, I'll go there. Uh, If you've got the education, you can look at those changes and analyze them and go, how can I make these work for me? And I'm like the people who are succeeding. If you haven't got the education, you just go, something's going on. I don't really understand what, I don't like it. I appreciate that's very it's,
2: <laughs> simplistic well partly there's that but also then there's a role here for, for government and for society and for businesses you know that how do you deal with that you know that education is a, a key pathway but it's not the, the only pathway in this and you know the degree to which governments speak to all parts of society is is a real challenge and you see that here in the UK you see it in other countries as well you know who do you think about and what resources do you do you go for because You know just if you're being instrumental as a government people with lower education often the people who tend not to be that interested in politics tend not to vote so why do stuff for them if you're not going to get a reward go for the middle classes who have got the education who are going to turn out and vote for you and let you stay in power so there are again different pressures
0: is that the failure has there been a failure here because you know I'm talking about the rise of the robots right surely the whole point of AI and robots and stuff is that we all get to kick back and not do any work at all. And they do all the hard work.
1: Instead of going, they're "They're taking my jobs, you go, they're
0: taking my jobs, and now I don't have to work. Brilliant.
1: therein lies the problem, right? Which is, think about the old world. So you had a distribution of skills. Mm. There were high skills, there were medium skills, and there were low skills. Mm. And there was a distribution of jobs. You had high skill jobs, you had Mm. medium skill jobs, and the low skill jobs. Whose jobs are the robots taking? It's that left end of the distribution, the low skill jobs, right? And in fact, we have evidence for the first time, that shows that for the EU, that you see about a 15% decline in jobs that are manual, um, that are uh, cognitive but repetitive, Mm. right? Um, Like think of cashiers and things like that. While you have an equivalent increase in jobs, so the net jobs haven't changed, equivalent increase in jobs for the higher-order cognitive skills that use higher-order cognitive skills, jobs like ours.
0: Brilliant. I'm glad you raised this because it proves I was right to write it down on my notepad here. I've got the, got the key fact, <laughs> right. um, but I don't <laughs> understand it. If the number of jobs is the same and mm-hmm. people are still doing those jobs, doesn't that just mean that people
1: who were doing manual jobs are now doing analytical jobs? If they can do it, right? That's, that's about it. So part of the problem of any big transition, and we had a similar transition, by the way, in the early part of the 20th century mm-hmm. with the rise of the automobiles and communications and what have you, The point is not that in the long run, we'll be all generally okay; Things will work out. It's a transition. And remember, that transition took 30 years, Mm -hmm. 50, if you count when the welfare state actually rose, right? So that is really the change that we are in right now. So there's a bunch of people who have the skills, who know how to learn, how to learn, Mm -hmm. who are able to adapt and change their jobs to fit the new jobs that are coming. there's a whole bunch of other people, the 55-year-old who's worked in a factory all her life, mm-hmm. who then says, if, who may not, may still have the job, but says, what will happen to me and my family if I lose my job today and if the robots truly come to my factory? And that's the anxiety that is driving everyone. So that's the, 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 the
2: expansion of the point I was making earlier, that globally yeah, you not. get improving and strengthening economic performance but locally you get losses and that there are people who not everyone is better off you know on average people are better off but there are people who will lose out in that process and at those those points of transition you get relatively more people who are, are losing out and that's where you get pressure on politics on populism coming through and these kind of yeah, it's friction, I and mean, you can say, you know, it's just the, the, the gritty in the system
1: and it, we don't need to worry yeah. about it because in the long run we'll all be fine. Well, but actually, Isn't that, that what you're saying? Just relax, it will pass. But 20 no, years, but, everything No, be hunky door. we're not saying that. And that's where the, the 42% or the 13% come in, right? So if you now are creating a class of people who are now 15-year-olds, right, mm. who don't have the skills now for the future... Yeah. So this is not a place where you had, as you had 100 years ago, the manual skill jobs, the assembly line, etc., to absorb those people. The robots are going to take that. So what are you going to do with a group of 15-year-olds today, 10-year-olds today, people who are not yet born, who are not being endowed with the skills to succeed in the future economy? And that is the policy challenge. That is a challenge for society. And if you remember the first time... No, no, Room of the first half of the 20th century, but if you're reading about it, (laughs) neither
0: are you.
2: (laughs) But your recollection of uh, that period of time is that the politics were not, it was rubbish, not not good, (laughs) (laughs) it was rubbish, let's be honest. Yeah, so you know, even when you've got a a place where you can move people into those kind of options where you don't have that now, you can see how the, the, the tensions can be that much greater. So, yes, it does, it really does matter this kind of thing, and it because it's generational. To a considerable extent, the, abil- the ability of government—you know—governments often have very limited time horizons, and I think that's one of the real challenges here. Is that you need to think beyond your term in office. Uh, that then that does create a lot of pressures. And Brexit is
0: some weird side effect of the of what's going on. You could argue that. That yes. be fair to say. In rather France, than being, yes. I mean, obviously we're doing a whole series about Brexit, we think it's the, the main show, and, you know, uh, you're deputy director of UK to change Europe, you've been loving. But I don't want to accuse your <laughs> living of being a just a little side effect, whatever you wish in your time, Simon. No, but no, is I mean, that fair to say that it's, uh, it's I, th- I sort of call, know, call it a side show, but it, it's, it, it is very much related to these bigger forces?
2: Yes, and I think if you look back in 100 years' time, and again, you won't be doing that, or maybe, maybe will uh, maybe technology. Yeah, will robot doctors to keep your life. Uh, you You would see it to a large extent as part of a, a collection of events that are happening. Whether that's populism uh, about the changing nature of the economy, about the dislocation that, that that's coming with that new revolution in economic uh, organisation. Was there enough
0: analysis and discussion from that point of view during the Brexit referendum? Did, it, did enough people say, hang on you know, all this stuff you're talking about is part of something much bigger, um, take a wider view, or did we, was people part of the issue was that, too that, narrow? But
2: that, that's, not as, that's not the kind of thing you can put on the side of a bus uh, it's not, you, you know, you tell people you're part of a, a, a world historic transition that's fine, but that sounds like a, an academic kind of position and argument <laughs> it's not one to make the heartbeat faster,
1: you say you're, you're, you're just part of a big thing you don't matter as so, if you can say so what you can put on the side of the bus and that's what we would argue is that universal skills for everyone you can okay. and that is I think one of the things that we would argue for
0: um, you could put the convergence machine on the side of a bus what's that <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like something from science fiction that sounds like isn't a big that, robot that's coming that, to get isn't us that all
1: a fun name? So, it's, uh, it's catchy but it's, it sounds slightly scary <laughs> it actually is uh A real real compliment to the European Union. Um, It was coined in a previous report actually to this one um, by the World Bank which looked at the European Union over the time period from mid 60s to the mid 2000s. Mm. And essentially it showed that this particular um, experiment, the European project, has been the biggest driver of convergence in modern history between countries. So the East Asian miracle did not uh, actually draw those countries together and, and richer as fast neither did the Latin American story the European expand was the biggest convergence machine um, I'm slightly I'm, I'm very aware that
0: how many episodes of this podcast have we done you're like the first person that's taking a proper global view which worries me <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've not really been thinking you know I know has been talking about East Asia well we had somebody talking about Japan or something we're going to go do lots of deals with Japan but it's slightly concerning that perhaps we've uh, been a bit too narrow minded um, the convergence machine needs a tune up, according to the, the report. This is the mm-hmm. growing united. united. I keep wanting to call it growing together, growing united. <laughs> uh, I've got it written down, I ought to know. Um, it could break, though, couldn't it? Machines
1: break. Machines do break. They need to be oiled. They need to be tended.
0: Can and break, I think? Will it break? Can the EU be broken by the forces you're talking about? Are they big enough to break it?
1: Um, not that we see, because it still is working. If you think of the countries of Eastern Europe right now, they're converging really, really fast, despite all the political turmoils and the stresses that you read about in newspapers. The average Eastern European right now is immensely better off because they acceded to the EU, um, and and these things are these countries are growing, they're they're flourishing. Their challenge is that 42% number I gave you. The equivalent numbers elsewhere. It is what is uh, giving rise to a sense of anxiety that even though the average is growing up, not everyone is catching up to that average.
0: Now, Arup made reference within that competition to the little recording device I used to record the podcast, and suggested there was robots and artificial intelligence involved. Well, if there is, the robots went on strike towards the end of our chat. A little technical glitch meant I didn't get the very last bit of the conversation, where Arup and Simon started talking about the singularity, and I couldn't tell if they were taking the mickey by talking sci-fi or not. Apparently not. The singularity is when artificial intelligence matches human intelligence. And robots have the same processing capacity as a human brain. Arap says robots are as clever as mice just now, apparently. Anyway, we also missed the features. But luckily, I wrote them down. So we can still have...
1: In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently.
0: I can reveal... Arab Banerjee recommended a book called Who Can You Trust by Rachel Botsman which is all about how we used to trust states governments even organizations like the World Bank and now we tend to trust people on Facebook more and what that means you can see how that fits with Brexit Simon's latest recommendation is also a book it's called Mr Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore by Robin Sloan it's a novel but it deals with the issues we discussed in this podcast, really. Technology and the future of work, essentially. Uh, you can find those and all previous recommendations on my website, james-miller.com. You can contact me there, or you can find me on Twitter, where I am at political yeti, or the email address is UKInerchanging Europe podcasts at gmail.com. And the UK Interchanging Europe are at UK and EU on Twitter. And they're on Facebook too. And their website is ukandeu.ac.uk, UK, I should say. Um, please get in touch about anything. Um, I think we've got like one slot left in this series of podcasts. Um, so if there's a particular male and Brexit backing person you think we should have on the podcast, do get in touch and we'll do our best to sign that person up. Um, my thanks to Arab. ...and Simon for partaking in the podcast. I thought Arap was uh, particularly interested. And his report, which is called Growing United, is uh, very much worth looking up. I'll uh, maybe post a link on my website as well. Um, the music today has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra... I've been James Miller and this has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Come back in two weeks for another episode. Thank you.